We're in the bridge between summer and fall, I guess, here. And um, Brooke found another mushroom in his neighborhood today. This is it here in the wood chips. And um, anybody have a guess for this red staining mushroom? Luco agaricus uh, americana. Yep. The um, reddening lepiota. So, um, you may see this one again, but this is um, one of the edibles, but as Brooke mentioned earlier, it turns your urine uh, reddish, I guess. So the email, the original email that went out for this meeting has a link, about the third link down for this Mycoflora project page that's on my website for the Chicago Mycoflora project. And on this page, there's different links here uh, for you to learn how to use iNaturalist. This first bunch of links is um, iNaturalist use and some videos on that. And some, there's some good NAMA videos here about why Mycophora projects are important. There's some more um, related resources here. But there's a link here, top 10 lists. And I put together this um, this weekend to sort of organize how I go through some examples on iNaturalist. Instead of just randomly going through and looking at what's on there, um, we're going to go through these top 10 lists that I made this past year. We won't look at every single thing, but you can go back and look at these yourself on your own time. Um, and a lot of these species, I also um, there's a link to an iNaturalist observation, these numbers. And there's also a link to Michael Kuo's page on that species. And a few of them have links to um, a few other things. But there's um, five lists here. And we'll see how we get through here. There's the top 10 most common choice edibles. And we're going to have questions at the end, uh, Matt. So. Well, um, you can put your questions in the chat, but and we'll look at them at the end, toward the end here. Um, so the lists I've got are top 10 most common choice edibles, the top 10 most common poisonous mushrooms in Chicago area, the top 10 most common macrofungi. These are basically all the um, visible fungi, mushrooms and polypores and brackets, everything we are familiar with. The top 10 most common of those and those are mostly all wood rotters here. Then there's the top 10 most common gilled mushrooms, mushrooms with gills. And this includes some of the edible and poisonous ones. So some of these are repeats. And then there's a top 10 list of the most common genera that are difficult to identify to species. Um, so we may not go into that. And then at the end, there's some cool stuff and a couple quiz questions. Um, so we'll look at those uh, a little later. So I'm not going to look at everything here. Um, some of these edibles, if you don't know these edibles, you should um, check these out. Um, chicken mushroom, I'm sure most of you know that or have, you have tried it out. Um, then we're going to look at the chanterelles, um, gyroporus castaneus, uh, hen of the woods. I'll skip that one. I think most of you know that one. Um, honeycaps. I'm going to skip the giant puffball. You know that one pretty good. Um, 
we'll look at the oyster and this other sulfur shelf and pleurotus and the antiloma. And we'll do some of those fairly quick here. So here's a really nice picture of um, Latiporus sulfurus by um, a fellow who was at the museum before and now is working at the Arboretum. And he helped run the online Zoom class I did for the Arboretum back in um, late June, early July. So this is a young, fairly young um, sulfur shelf. It's bright orange on top and it's got the, a yellow edge and bright yellow pores underneath. So that one, you should all know that one. Uh, we'll skip over to Latiporus cincinnatus, the white pored chicken mushroom. This um, is also a parasite, but it's on the roots and the base of the tree. So this is usually on the ground. It's orangish on top, a little bit pinkish, but it is missing the yellow pigment. So the pores are white to cream and the cap on the top is missing the yellow part. Um, so it's just a duller orange instead. Um, and this is the better edible of the two. Um, that's the opinion of people have, who have tried both of those. Um, then chanterelles. Um, Greg and I and Andy and some other people published this new Chicago chanterelle about four years ago. This is, I think, one of the better images on iNaturalist for it. It shows it when it's fairly young and shows the, um, some of the, the key features I look for. So this is our most common yellow chanterelle around the Chicago area. It's uh, found all the way over to Ohio and down to Missouri. We're still learning the distribution of it. I don't know. I'm guessing it goes up into Wisconsin. I don't remember if I have Wisconsin records or not. It might be in Minnesota, but I'm not sure. Um, the key features are that when the cap is young, it's got a very pale greenish tint on the yellow cap. So that kind of shows up here. Um, you can see the cap margin is greenish. And the thing I look for is the color of the margin in contrast to the ridges underneath. So when you compare the yellow stem and the yellow cap to the ridges, especially when it's younger or fresh, the ridges look more orange um, in contrast to the cap and the stem. So you can see that there's a little green on the yellow um, on the margin and then the ridges are more orange and then the stem is yellow. Um, and this is one of the chanterelles that stain reddish. And I don't know if anybody's figured out why these morels, why these chanterelles stain reddish. There's multiple ones that do that um, when they're bruised. Um, here it is um, at the, um, a little bit dried out at our um, annual foray show. This was taken by um, John Plischke. Oh, sorry. This observations by Alan Rockefeller when he came up for our annual mushroom show. And then John Plischke identified it and then I agreed with that identification. So um, that's our Chicago chanterelle. This is one that, um, oh, I forgot who heel splitter is. Do you remember who heel splitter is, Brooke? I don't remember. I'm sorry on these usernames. It's um, Django Group Myers. Oh, Django, yeah. 
So this is a, a, a Chicago chanterelle from Ohio that he'd found. And he did send me a specimen of one from Ohio, so we want to get that sequenced. But this shows the same features. You can see um, the cap edge is a little bit green and the yellow stem is uh, different, more yellow than the ridges. These ridges are a bit paler. There are different color forms for the chanterelle, which is really interesting. And we want to get more DNA samples on the different color forms. So this was an example of one that's a little bit paler underneath, but it's got the green margin. And then here is one of Brooks' favorite collections. This is a white chanterelle that we got at Fermilab. I think it was Fermilab. Yeah, this is one of, our, one of our Fermilab forays. So we have this and we want to get this sequenced. But our Chicago chanterelle can be missing most of the yellow, orange pigments, but still sometimes have a little tint of green or grayish on the cap. And you can see the ridges are very faint pink. So it's a really pretty color combination. But this is the same as our Chicago chanterelle. There's other chanterelles that have white or paler color forms in the US and over in Europe. Um, and um, Bart uh, Buick did some with his colleagues in Europe did work and they figured out that some of the chanterelle species in Europe are actually color forms of other species. So they did some lumping of the European chanterelles. Here's Gyroporus uh, castaneus. It's a little bolete. It's one of a favorite edibles. It's fairly easy to identify a chestnut brown cap and stem and the white pores. Um, the pores will turn a little bit yellow because the spores are yellow. And it's got a different texture than the other boletes. Um, you usually don't find very many at a time. So what Brooke does is dries them and saves them up in a jar until he has enough to make a meal out of them. Um, this shows the, the nice little pores. The stem texture is quite different in these gyroporous mushrooms. Here's a nice picture of Armillaria melia. This is a good one that shows how the ring on melia, the, yellow, the regular yellow honeycap mushroom, has a very membranous, sturdy ring here. Um, white gills with white spores. Um, yellowish cap, and it grows in clumps. And the caps are fairly smooth. If it, if it has hairs, it's not as obviously hairy as um, Armillaria gallica, which is a bit more common, that's more brown and very hairy on top, um, and not, as, um, not in big clumps. So Melia is usually in clumps of 10 to 50. Um, gallica is usually smaller clumps or sig single, and we'll we'll see the Gallica has a different ring when we get to that one. This one's taken by Chris in Genoa, Illinois. Um, there's two oyster mushrooms. Uh, well, several oysters we get. Two of them are the Pleurotus ostriatus, the um, cool season oyster mushroom. Um, this is a good edible when it's fresh. Um, oyster mushrooms have a stem that's mostly lateral or absent and then it has gills and the spore color is white or very pale lavender um, for a couple of the oysters. Um, this one's taken by Lorinda Suze um, up near the airport. 
And if you look at our summer oyster, this is uh, Pleurotus uh, pulmonarius. Um, it's wider, comes out in the summer and has more of a central stem. These are fairly young and um, uh, is in the warm weather, like July, early August. So this picture is in, Jeff took this in July um, this year. Jeff did our program on iNaturalist early this year. If you were happen to be there, he talked about using iNaturalist. He's one of the big users. He's got 18,000 observations on iNaturalist of birds and plants and flowers and uh, mushrooms. Here's, um, Grant took this picture of Entoloma abortivum. This is the aborted stage and Entoloma abortivum is a mushroom. This is the actual Entoloma fruit body. And Entoloma is a group of, in um, mostly, um, some of these Entolomas are mycorrhizal and some we're not sure if they're just saprobes or what, but this particular Entoloma um, interacts with honeycaps. And this aborted form is actually the honeycap that got aborted by the mycelium from the um, Entoloma. So the Entoloma um, grows over, interferes with the mushroom development of the honeycap. And then you get these clusters of aborted honeycaps. Um, this is also called hunter's heart or shrimp of the woods, has a bunch of different names. Um, these are edible, but you want to get them when they're fresh and fairly firm. When they're, when they're old and waterlogged, they can get bacteria and get kind of be kind of squishy and not so good. Okay, that was our top 10 choice. Um, couple other miscellaneous things related to those. Um, there's a link here for cancerellus discussions on my website and on Michael Quo's if you wanna learn more about chanterelles and some of the name changes going on. You can look at those two pages. We don't have Cantharellus siberius anymore in, in America, that's just European. This one came up, Ruth posted this um, the end of July. And I don't think this is the Chicago chanterelle, even though it's in the area here. Um, and the reasons are that the cap is a very nice clean yellow color that's stained very bright yellow. The center of the cap is nice bright yellow. It's not really scruffy. So it's not, um, and these are expanded open caps. So they're not behaving like the Chicago chanterelle. Um, very bright. And then underneath here, um, you can see it's more orange and the, the ridges aren't really that much different from the stem. So, um, so this one, I'm not sure what to call it. It might be Flavis, but it, it seems a bit on the orange side, um, but these colors might be bright. enriched in this and photo. Then but we have a couple records of Cantharellus Flavis. It's a yellow chanterelle described from Wisconsin. Um, there's a question about um, the, um, the yellow oyster. We do have that in the Chicago region. There's some um, records of it showing up north and on the west side, especially. Hunter is finding it a lot on the west side. Um, we found it once uh, last year in Cook County. So look for some more in Cook County. It's escaped um, from different people's mushroom kits apparently, and it's 
all over, spreading all over the Midwest and out east. Uh, so we can look at a picture of that later. Um, other people say there's a lot of it in Galena, Illinois. Uh, Melody, message, uh, message, message from Melody there. Um, this is a chanterelle that Lorinda got uh, earlier this summer up northwest of Chicago. Um, and this one I think is Cantharellus phasmatus, the ghost chanterelle. This chanterelle is a very meaty chanterelle. It's a very good edible chanterelle. Um, it has a much stronger odor. Our Chicago chanterelle doesn't have much odor. This um, Cantharellus phasmatus has a, has a good odor. Um, this is uh, more common up in um, Wisconsin and it has a lookalike species in Northern Wisconsin. So there's two things, two species that look the same. Um, we're not sure um, about the ranges of either one, but we get, um, get this one down in Chicago a few times. You can see how thick the stem is and it's white here. Um, the ghost chanterelle is very pale underneath. Um, otherwise it's, it's a nice yellow color on top. This is uh, Lorinda Sorensen got this in uh, early July this year. This is not common around here. I used to see it more in Minnesota. It's an urban mushroom. I don't know why we don't have more of it. We got plenty of urban area. Um, this is Lyophyllum dicastes or the chicken fried mushroom. Um, it's a, in the Clitospi type group a little bit, but it's um, Lyophyllum. It looks like a big Clitospi. The gills aren't very decurrent, but it has white spores. It's in clumps in, um, usually in the grass. And then here, uh, Learn to Sue's has this picture of um, um, the um, Hygrophorus milky. It was Lactarius, now it's Lactifluus hygrophoroides. Um, this uh, is one of the really best edible Lactarius or milk mushrooms. It's got uh, lots of white milk that's sticky and the gills are well spaced apart. So to learn this mushroom, look at other pictures where you can see the gills that have very wide spacing. Um, okay, now we're gonna go on to the poisonous mushrooms. And again, these have pages, description pages on Michael Kuo's website if you wanna read more about these. I'm gonna skip um, a couple of, wait, uh, well, I guess not. Um, I couldn't find a decent picture of this um, Foliotina rugosa, this little LBM that's very poisonous. So you have to look up, look on that on Mushroom Observer to see what that looks like. It's a little brown mushroom with a ring. This is another little brown mushroom with a ring. Um, this is Lernus who's got this one. This is Gallerina marginata, the funeral bell. Um, it's got the same deadly toxin as in the deadly ammonitas. Uh, has a brown cap, brown spores, has a little brown ring on the stem. The ring is brown because it, it's catching the spores, the brown spores. 
the uh, cap color can fade when it's older. Um, and this grows on wood along with um, your other edibles that you might be collecting on logs. So you have to check every mushroom that you collect, make sure you don't get any of the dead, deadly gallerina mixed in. This is typically cooler weather, so in, it's in the spring and the fall mostly. Here's the jack-o'-lantern, which is a lovely mushroom. It's bioluminescent. It uh, glows um, if you have the lights off. You'll see, you'll see it glowing. Um, this grows in really big clumps of big orange mushrooms. Um, it's growing up usually from the roots. It's also on dead stumps and dead wood. Um, here you can see underneath it's got bright orange gills. Some people confuse this with chanterelles, but most chanterelles don't grow in big clumps and chanterelles have ridges instead of thin um, crowded gills. So there's a difference in the structure. Also, if you cut these open, um, they're yellowish and mottled inside instead of white. Another picture of the nice decurrent orange gills underneath. Um, here's Amanita bisporigera. We've got several different deadly Amanitas. This is one of the common ones. That it's mycorrhizal with trees, so you need oak trees or some kind of tree nearby, but it can be in the city. Greg's seen it in a playground once. Um, it's an Amanita, so it has white spores and free gills. It has a vulva or cup at the base. That's from the universal veil that covers the whole mushroom when it's young, and then the Partial veil breaks and leaves this skirt or ring on the stem here. Bisporigera is fairly slender for this group of Ammonitas. Um, the other species we have, Ammonita magna volaris, is much sturdier, larger, uh, thicker stem and a thicker veil that um, can have some yellowish color underneath. So there's some differences there. Uh, see if we have the picture of the vulva here. Um, then there's other ammonitas that we have lots of different ammonitas. If you're interested in ammonitas, Britt Bunyard and Jay Justice just published a brand new book on ammonitas of North America that came out in June. So you can order that on the Fungi Magazine website. Um, and I don't know on that other Amanita bisporigera picture I had, I'm not sure if the veils are, are always that, that high up on the stem. Um, sometimes they're a bit, might be a bit lower. Not sure how variable that might be. But this is another Amanita. It's got a different kind of cup. It's got a rimmed bulb here at the base and it's got warts on the cap. So you can tell this is not um, the deadly destroying angel, but um, it could be one of the other um, dead, uh, poisonous ammonitis, but I can't remember if this is going to be uh, multi-squamosa or one of the other ones. I get these mixed up. I don't see them often enough. Here's one of Brooke's favorite mushrooms. This is Hapalopilus nigilans or rutilans, depending on which name you want to use. This is um, a very soft brown polypore that's um, 
poisonous. It has polyporic acid, which is poisonous. It's one of the few, or maybe the only poisonous polypores. And then the underside color is this kind of uh, cinnamon brown, pinkish brown uh, with the pores. Very lovely mushroom. The other thing this does is if you drop KOH, potassium hydroxide on the cap, it'll turn uh, lavender. Just a nice color reaction. Um, we have a lot of different anosophies and some of these are poisonous or maybe all of them are poisonous. I don't know if there's any deadly ones. Inocybe or enokybe means fiber head. So these have a cap that with radial fibers or scales on there and they have brown spores. Um, the gills might turn out, start out white or some other color, but the spores are brown. Um, and these are very interesting, but you need microscope to really figure them out. Um, there's different characters with the spores and with the cells on the gills. And if you're collecting inospies, you wanna be very careful taking good pictures and notes about all the surfaces. Um, Different inospies have different bases, just like amanitas. They have, might have a rimmed base. They don't have a cup, but they have different shape structures at the base, and they have different surface features on the stem. So you don't want to handle them as much like this was, this, been, this stem has been handled a lot. So it's the, the cells are rubbed off. So you're losing some of the characters there. But um, they have different kinds of fibers and scales and patterns and colors on the top. And they have different odors um, also. Um, here's a Cortinarius. There's lots of Cortinarius and a, a lot of them are hard to figure out. This one is a distinctive one that we found only a couple times in Chicago and Wisconsin. It's Cortinarius rubrapes, which means ruby foot. It's got this swollen red base and a kind of reddish brown cap. So it's pretty distinctive for a Cortinarius. We'll see another Cortinarius later, but this is one of the pretty Cortinarius. It's red. And Alan took that picture at our um, annual show um, in uh, 2016. Here's another one I threw in. This is Lepiota subincarnata. It's related to Jocerandii, which is a deadly Lepiota. Um, there's a lot of different lepiotas, big ones, big, big ones and small ones. The small ones tend to be poisonous and this actual one has the, um, a deadly toxin and we had a severe poisoning case about 10 years ago in Chicago. Um, somebody ate these without knowing what they were. But it's a little, it's a little lepiota with kind of reddish brown scales, a little bit of reddish brown in the cap and grows in um, mulch and stuff under trees. So this is an urban mushroom We've seen it um, near on the Field Museum campus and some other places in Chicago. So this is a, but it's a small lepiota. So uh, most people uh, will be leaving it alone. The um, mushroom that does get people into trouble is Chlorophylla molybdites, the green gilled lepiota or parasol. Uh, it's a big parasol mushroom. It's the only one we have with green spores. Um, it's an urban mushroom coming up in lawns in the summer when it's warm and wet. I don't know if anybody's seen it this year. Um, this is from four years ago. I saw it uh, last year or so in my neighborhood under a spruce tree. Um, 
And um, so it's fairly common in the city or across the country. Um, it has uh, big scales on the cap. The cap starts out round and then opens up into a parasol shape. The problem with this one is you don't see the green color in the gills until after you've eaten it and gotten sick. And then you go back and look at the ones you didn't eat and the gills have turned green um, a few hours after you collected it. Um, when it's fairly young, um, the, gills stay, the gills stay white for quite a while. So it's only when it's much older um, that you'll see the green spores. So there's another reason to take spore prints uh, when you're not sure what you have. Um, now we're getting into the top 10 most common macrofungi. So this is based, these top 10 lists are based on our research data around Chicago. So most of this data is from oak woods and woodlands and a few forests and some other habitats. So um, mostly oak woodland species. So this list is the top 10 most common macrofungi. So out of all the macrofungi, we've got more than 1200. These are the top 10 that we have found most of the time. And you'll see that actually um, none of these, oh, well, one of these is edible. Well, more than one is edible. There's only one that people bother eating. Um, so we're gonna look through these in order. So the most commonly recorded mushroom or fungus in our data is the turkey tail. Um, second most common is the um, violet pored polypore. And then um, coming in at number nine is our dryad saddle. So there is an edible one in the list, but it's not, I wouldn't call it choice. So here's um, one of the pictures of Trimedes that I found that does show the underside. So you wanna look at both the top and bottom side of brackets and polypore things growing on wood because both sides are gonna give you information. So for the turkey tail on the top, it's got different colored zones um, and hairs, it's got hair. And the thing I look for is the different colored zones plus these black lines. So the interesting thing about this turkey tail is underneath the hairs on the surface is a black, very thin black layer um, on the top of the cap. So there's a black layer on the top of the cap, but under the hairs. So in these zones where the hairs are short, you see the black color peeking out. Where the hairs are nice and thick and some other color, you don't see the black. So I look for these black lines on the top, along with the hairy and the different colors. And then underneath, I look for white pores. And when it gets older, the white pores turn a bit cream colored. And the pores are fairly roundish, a little bit angular, but fairly round pores. So um, hairy top with um, zones with the black lines and white pores underneath. And contrast that to false turkey tail here, which comes in a lot of different shades. These are um, more brightly colored than usual, but you can see it's got zones on the top. It has green color from algae that's in the hairs, but underneath it's smooth, white to yellow to orange, but it's smooth underneath. There's no pores on a false turkey tail, um, but it's very common. We've got a couple different kinds of false turkey tail. Another common bracket, second most common thing we find is the Trichaptum biformi, um, the violet pored polypore. This 
fades, the color on this fades out quite a bit when it's older. You'll, you'll find it out there from the previous year, but the violet color will be gone. When it's fresh though, it has this really nice violet color on the edge and the pores are violet. So it's really pretty when it's fresh. And that's very common. Um, you find it sometimes on dead trees where there's, it's covering um, like six or eight feet up and down the tree. Another commonly found thing is Scanoderma aplanatum. Um, this is kind of an older specimen, shows some um, damage here from beetles. Um, Ganoderma aplanatum is perennial, so it adds a new layer each year. And this has pores underneath. You can see different, there's different growth zones here, but this might be like three years old. There's like, I think three major growths here. Um, you can see the growth layers when you cut it open. And this has pores, but they're very, very tiny. Um, a white pore surface and a brown context inside. So you can scratch the surface um, to have the brown color show up. So you can draw on the bottom of this, so it's called artist conch, because you can draw pictures on it by just scraping it. Um, I don't like collecting these because um, this is a perennial, so each year it gets bigger and adds another layer. And I'm, I'm worried that they're getting collected too much because I'm not seeing as many big old ones anymore. I see uh, a naturalist when I was looking, a lot of them look like the first year brackets. This is a very common polypore that's a little bit harder to identify. This is called the mustard yellow polypore. Uh, when it's fresh like this, it has bright yellow edge and a more reddish brown top. It's in the Felinus group, so it's got brown pores and brown flesh. Um, this group stains black with potassium hydroxide. And when this gets older, it fades, so it won't have the bright yellow color. It'll just be a dull brown. But it's very common, especially on oak. Here's uh, Urpex. This is very common. Um, Urpex has a couple key features. It's called effused reflexed. So that means that a lot of the fungus is flat on the wood, but the edges curve out. So it has these free edges, so like little caps on the edge. That's the reflexed part. So Urpex is one of the crusty-like polypores where the pores turn into toothy, the pores break up into toothy projections, but it has these free cap edges. So you have to look for those two things in combination. The, the um, toothy pores along with the free edge um, and the white color. Urpex lacteus, lacteus refers to the milk color. Another common polypore is Neofabulus alveolaris. It used to be polyporous. Um, when it's fresh, it's bright orange and then it fades. It, it sticks around quite a while, but then fades until it's really pale. And the pores underneath are these nice um, hexagonal elongated pores. It's also called diamond pore bracket because of the pore shape. Uh, it's got these large um, angular pores underneath. Otherwise it's, it's orangey on the top and the bottom. This, these are a little bit older, so it's more yellow or yellow brown. And then here is another polypore we've got in the top 10 list. 
um, Pluperus varius, or if you want to use the name Seraporius varius, you can. I'm not using that name yet, but um, I'm still holding out. But this is the black-footed polypore. It's got a stem that's fairly central. It's got little pores, and you can see it's got a black base on the pore on the stem. This is a bit variable, and there's a couple different names floating around for these, um, and I'm not quite. Um, confident on which name to put on which one. There's a size difference in the mushroom and the size of the wood it's on. Um, but that's Blipperus varius. The other names are Elegans and Leptocephalus. You might see those names around. Here's Blipperus squamosus, and this has been moved into Seriaporus also. Um, and this is our dryad saddle. It's got um, the scaly cap. Um, it gets this dark brown color developing in the center. And then underneath, it's got a fat stem. Uh, if we have that, we don't really have the stem showing. But it also has fairly large pores. And it's somewhat fleshy when it's fresh, so you can eat this when it's young. Um, and it has a, the, um, when it's young, it has a smell of watermelon rind or cucumber. And so it's kind of a favorite edible because it's uh, people can find it reliably. Here's another edible which very few people eat because um, it's not, um, there's only a couple countries that eat it. This is Schizophyllum um, Communi. It's very common around the world. This is a species of fungus that has lots of different mating type combinations. So. It's got thousands of mating types around the world. So it has no problem finding a compatible partner um, out in the wild. But um, it's got a fuzzy cap um, with um, sort of grooves in the cap edge. And the key feature is underneath um, the split gills. So it has um, unusual gills. It's not related to the other gilled mushrooms. It has a separate origin of gill structures. And these gills are um, pleated in two parts. So the gill can actually splits and rolls up when it's dry. So when you find these when they're dry, the, the gills are rolled up inside so that the spore layer is rolled up inside and um, you'll see the hairy edges in between the split gills. So it's pretty cool. Okay, now we've got um, Top 10 most common guild mushrooms. Um, I'm gonna go through these a little faster probably here. Gallerina marginata is a repeat. We'll just sh show that briefly. Um, another Inosophy, another Amaeta, Inky Cap, and the Armillary Gallica, and then a Foliota. So um, we have several Pluteus. We've got these big brown ones that most people call Pluteus cervinus. And um, there's actually several species in this group and I haven't worked on them under the microscope to figure out which ones we have here. There's a couple scientific papers on these, but it's safe enough to call this Pluteus cervinus, the fawn mushroom. Um, it's an edible mushroom. I'm not sure it's that good, but uh, Pluteus group has free gills here, like Ammonita. So the gills don't attach to the stem. And Pluteus usually has a big gap. So it's very obvious 
that the gills don't touch the stem. Um, Pluteus has pinkish brown or salmon brown spores, so the gills at some point start turning pinkish brown. Um, but this is our big Pluteus with the brown cap. Um, we have some um, big white Pluteus. We have a bunch of Mycena galariculata. Uh, we have a bunch of Mycena. One of the common ones is galariculata, which is a gray Mycena that's in small clumps. This was a picture I picked out of the choices that looked fairly somewhat standard for what I call galariculata with the brown striate cap. It's got these lines or striations on the cap. It's in the brown color group along with a brown stem and the clumps are on the small side. There's some other species with different colors or paler or in big clumps. So um, Mycenas are kind of tricky, but you can see the gray brown cap with the brown stem. Um, this Mycena is one of the easiest to identify, Mycena hematopus. It's got the red color in the cap and in the stem, and this has a red juice. And I picked this one because this person took a nice picture of showing the red juice inside when you break it open. So she's got, um, they have um, red staining on their finger from the juice. There's red juice inside the stem. So Mycena hematopus, that means blood foot. Um, I forget who myconaut is. Uh, somebody in our group. Here's another Gallerina marginata with the brown cap and the little ring on the stem, brown gills, brown spores. Um, most Russula you can't get names on. And actually we're finding out that the European names don't work for American Russellas anyway. So um, I'm like not working on Russella till some of that gets straightened out. But this is a Russella that we had trouble with in the Chicago region and we were using a couple different names for it. And um, Peter Avis with his DNA sequencing got us straight on which name to use. Um, but we're calling this um, pectinatoides. It's in the Russula aminolins group, or um, sorry, Russula fetid group, which usually have either nasty smells or sweet smells like almond. Um, and they're different sizes. This is a smaller one that has a bit of an unpleasant odor. But this usually has a big, bit of a pinkish color in the cap and sometimes pinkish stains on the stem. Otherwise, it's kind of a, a yellow or um, more on the yellowish brown rather than a gray brown. There's another one, I mean, Russula aminolins that we got confused with it. That's more of a gray brown cap. It's the same size, but doesn't have any of the red color in it anywhere. Here is Inosibi, and some of the Inosibis got split into a couple different genera. So, um, Inosbe ramosa got split over into pseudosperma. Um, but this is a typical Inosbe with the split cap. Um, so you don't definitely don't want to eat any of those little brown mushrooms. This shows a feature on Inosbe to look for. I don't know if you can see on your screen, but the gills on here have whitish edges. And there's white spots on the stem. That's from um, sterile cells on the um, gill edges in the stem, uh, cystidia, these sterile cells, and they reflect the light. So 
they make the um, surface there look white on the edges of the gills. But some, uh, some inospies don't have those, so they won't have white edges on the gills. So the white edge on the gills and the white cystidia on the stem are one of the things you look for when you're sorting out inospies. And yeah, this is a split cap. Inospi ramosa, ramos means that the cap is split. So you can see there's fibers, but um, there's splits in that cap surface. Here's Amanita fulva. Um, this is an Amanita with a really nice vulva, but there's no partial veil in this group of Amanita. So this is in the Vaginata group, um, or the Grisettes is an old name. Um, these are the um, brown and gray Amanitas that don't have a partial veil, but have a nice striate cap and a nice big vulva uh, uh, on the stem. And this is from Carol Nelson. Uh, who's still active on iNaturalist. Here's one a lot of you know, the inky, the mica inky cap, Copernellus micaceus. I picked this picture because it shows the granules on the young cap. You can see all those little whitish granules that look like mica flakes. That's how it gets got its name. And this um, inky cap is in big clumps with, um, usually with um, rotted wood. It comes up in urban areas where people remove trees. It'll be coming up on the stump or uh, what's left of the buried root base. Um, so this is an edible inky cap, but I don't know if it's that good. Somebody can let me know later um, if they like it. Here's Armillaria gallica. This is our most common honey cap. And this shows the veil is more cottony fibrous. Um, so when it breaks, it leaves sort of a fibrous area on the stem instead of a nice ring. And this also shows the hairy, the brown color and the hairy, um, hairy surface, especially in the upper left here. That's a very typical Gallica, Armillaria Gallica with the, um, the brown color and the really obvious little tufts of hairs on there. Um, iNaturalist gives common names for everything, and I'm not sure where all of these come from, but this is called bulbous honey fungus. It usually has these, the stem base is usually swollen. And again, this is usually in small clumps. It's not a, it's a weaker parasite, so it's more on dead wood and dead roots than on live trees. But it's also edible. This is Foliota polycroa. It's um, common, one of our more common foliotas. Um, it's got variable color. When it's young, it's a reddish purple, and then it fades to a brown or a yellow. Um, so polycroa means many colors. Um, it's a foliota, so it has scales on the cap, and it's got brown spores, and it grows on wood. Um, so you can look for that one. There's lots of pretty pictures of it online. Okay, um, I'm going to switch to these quizzes instead of looking at these most difficult genera, except I want to show uh, one of these uh, Cortinarius pictures. It's really nice. Uh, but you can, on your own time, look at these other ones here or read about them on Quo. This is, um, Ruth posted this nice picture um, 
four days ago of a Cortinarius, one of the purple Cortinarius. So there's a bunch of different Cortinarius out there. Um, several are purple, quite a few are purple. Um, I don't know the names of which purple ones we have, um, except for one that is purple and yellow combination. But this is, shows the really typical or really a good example of the Cortina, which is a cobwebby veil um, underneath the cap. And this is what gives Cortinarius its name is the Cortina or curtain. So this curtain of fibers underneath the cap and you can see it's just starting to break and reveal the brown gills here. So yeah, um, Cortinarius are really lovely to take pictures of. Uh, let's see. So court, some of these purple Cortinarius, you can get confused with the bluet, Clitospi nuda. So you wanna be able to tell those apart. Cortinarius are gonna have brown spores in this veil and the bluet does not, has uh, pale spores and no veil. Okay, now we're gonna get a few different examples here and some things I found that were not labeled right and we're gonna see if anybody knows what they are or has better guesses. Um, uh, we'll start with these here. But first, Brooke and I and Lorinda Sues, this is one of our favorite mushrooms because we're apparently one of the few people in the country that can find it. Um, if you look on this map, there's um, two or three places this has been found in Chicago area. And there's a, a collection here in Washington uh, three years ago in May. And ours are also in the spring here. So um, the observations we have, um, there's only four observations so far on, on iNaturalist, the one in Washington and the, one, the local ones by, by us. So. Um, let's see. So um, Brooke found it this spring when he ventured out to the spot where we know it is. And then um, this is the fellow in Washington State. And then I have a collection from um, Schiller Woods, um, a different location. And then this is the first record that went up on here, um, 2018, that Lorinda got up in her area. But this is Cholerhiza hygrophoroides. Um, it's a very rare mushroom with this kind of lovely orange chestnut cap, kind of orangey gills, orangey stem, and it's got a rooting stem. It comes up in the spring, about the same time as morels, or maybe a little bit before morels. Uh, but middle of May, I guess. And this is one of the mushrooms that um, we worked on for, somebody proposed it for the endangered list for the US several years ago. And Greg and a colleague from um, Europe hosted a meeting out West on working on um, rare and endangered fungi in the US. And we had several, um, several dozen proposed and we worked on how much data we had on these. So this is one of the ones that was proposed because there are so few records of it. But the problem with this one is there's not enough records of it actually to figure out how rare it is and what the distribution is. So 
some of these rare mushrooms, it's really hard to get information on it when there's so little data. Uh, um, but it's, it is a lovely mushroom. Okay, here's one I saw today that's labeled Omphalotus alludens. Um, and this is by Kathleen, who is an ex ex excellent person with plants, but not so excellent with mushrooms. Anyway, so we're gonna look at through some pictures here. This is on the side of a tree. Um, she thinks it might be an elm tree, I'm not sure. So there's a little mushroom there. Um, there's some mushrooms here. Um, people can put in the type in the chat if they want, if they have a guess. Another picture. It's underneath. It's got a shiny brown orange cap. It's got pale, kind of pale orange gills. And Hunter is saying Enoki or Gallerina. Anybody else agree with one of those? So um, Enoki and Gallerina, the Flamulina Volutipes and the Gallerina Marginata look very similar. So if you're going to collect the um, Flamulina, eat it, eat it. Um, you want to for sure know the difference. So um, the clues I see here are the shiny cap. Of course, when, it's in, when you have it in hand, it's a lot easier. But the shiny cap indicates that it's sticky or viscid. So the flamulina is going to have a sticky um, cap. And the gallerina um, does not have a sticky cap. It has, they both have smooth caps, but the gallerina is not sticky. Um, the other thing here is the stem. You can see it looks a little bit hairy, maybe a little bit fuzzy. At least I can see it on my screen. And there's no ring on these. No evidence of a ring. Um, and the gills are not brown. The gills are not brown, dark brown, but you know that might be because it's young. But you want to do a spore print. If this has white spores, then it's the Enoki. Uh, brown spores makes it the Gallerina. So this is a case where um, you want to uh, be able to identify it. This is um, May 23rd, 2020. So this is the spring. Um, Flamulina is a cool season mushroom. So you can see right now it says Omphlotus alludens, and it says needs ID because only one, there's only one proposed name. So I'm gonna, I was doing this with my class um, this summer, I had a summer class. So if we look at, if you put your, uh, if you click your mouse in the um, suggestion identification box here, iNaturalist will give you a, some suggestions based on the photo. It has a, some kind of algorithm for matching photos. And sometimes it's very good and sometimes it's not. It, it really depends on the quality of the pictures that you have. So since these pictures aren't as good, um, you can see some of the matches like Ganoderma tsuge um, and dry ice saddle, you know, or a foliota. And, you know, basically it isn't any of these. Um, so I'm going to type in flamulina. Um, so you, you start typing in the name and then you select the name you want here for velvet 
stem and then you do done and then you have your name registered in here and then up here it'll change to the since we have two competing names here um, these names don't agree so what iNaturalist does in its system is to move up to the next higher classification that includes both of those names that's usually a genus or a family. In this case, it's a suborder, Mrazniani, which is not a suborder, I know, but it's a suborder that has Mrazmius and related stuff. And Omphalotus and Flamulina are both in this suborder. So um, I'm surprised they have suborders in the system. Anyway, this needs one or more people to come along. And when you log in, if you wanna agree, so Hunter can do this if you want to log in, find this observation. Um, you can click agree with me or you can click agree with the other person. Um, and then that gets another vote for that name. And what you need to do is get enough votes so that two thirds of the name suggestions, more than two thirds match, and then it'll switch over to that name. So it's a different kind of voting system than what's on Mushroom Observer. This one is labeled Amanita muscaria. Do you say yay or nay? It's got yellow warts on a yellow cap. Rook is shaking his head no. Somebody, Hunter says nay. Any suggestions on what it is? Brooke and I don't have our Amanita book yet, so. But there's two yellow ammonitas like this. I get them mixed up. Or actually, there's three. There's several yellow ammonitas. So Hunter is asking if it's Flaviconia. The other one is Frostiana. I would, I would have to check and compare to like Michael Coe's pictures and stuff. But Flaviconia is a good guess on that. But um, I would have to check, um, which I don't want to do right now. But it's definitely not Muscaria. Why is it not Muscaria? Yeah, the, well, this picture doesn't show the basal bulb, so we don't really know what's going on down there. But as far as we can tell, there's no basal bulb, which is correct. There's a little bit of flakes of some veil. I don't know if Brooke had a, oh yeah, so muscaria, there's different color forms for muscaria. The muscaria we have in our area is Bridie gasoii, which has um, yellow to pale orange cap. Yeah, so our, our amanita is yellow or orange. It's not red. The red one is like over in Russia and on the West Coast. Um, and also, I would say the warts on muscaria are usually white and not yellow. Somebody can disagree on that. But the other thing is muscaria will have rigid, rings or ridges here on the stem because uh, the veil breaks up on the stem and leaves some little... Um, kind of little collars at that. And Brooke says it would be bigger at this stage. Uh, yeah, probably a bigger cap at that stage. Um, this is um, from, I'm not sure. Oh, this is from Ruth. This is really cool. She found this um, like this past week. This is a really pretty picture of this. This is Tremedes conchifer. 
It's related to turkey tail, but it has a feature that the other Trimedes do, that I know of do not have, maybe some in the tropics, but this is a Trimedes that has regular brackets here. It's got kind of brown, um, gray to pale brown brackets here, and underneath it would have white pores, but it also has these cups. So you often find it sometimes just with the cups, sometimes with the brackets, um, hopefully with both, and then it's easy to identify when you have both. But it's got these cups that have little zones, and these are splash cups. So this has two ways to make spores. It can make sexual spores the normal way in the pores underneath, and it makes asexual spores or oidia, some kind of fragmenting propagule thing in the cap, in the cup, in the on the top, and those can splash out from the rainwater. So it's got little splash cups that are separate just for making the asexual spores. So it's one of the few. Um, mushroom thingies that can reproduce two different ways. So you can look for that. It, it favors elm trees, elm, dead elm branches. Um, Carol posted this uh, more, a little more than a week ago. This is on the hydnellum. And the hydnellum we have, the common hydnellum we have with oak trees is hydnellum spongiosopes, which means sponge foot. Um, it's got a larger base that's spongy, so, kind of soft and spongy. Hidnellum have teeth underneath here, um, which um, makes it look kind of like a hidnum, but it's, it's, um, it's, it's not related to the sweet tooth hidnum. It's in a different group, but this is a hidnellum. There's other hidnellum you find other parts of the country with, with conifer trees. Um, there's also some other hidnellum with oaks or hardwoods. Here's a scleroderma. And anybody know which scleroderma this is? It's our small scleroderma. And I like to call, I like to refer to the surface as looking like puffed wheat, because that's what I remember from being a kid. Puffed wheat um, has this little brown flecked surface. Also, this puffball has uh, a base to it and white cords that are in the soil or a little bit of woody debris. And um, this is a scleroderma areolatum, refers to the areolate pattern on the cap. Um, so I put that down here, scleroderma areolatum. Okay, here's a mystery one that Ruth had that I didn't put a name on yet. Any guesses? on this, not quite enough information to go by, but we've got a pale stem. We've got gills. You can guess what color gills these are. Um, one guess is pluteus. I hadn't considered that. I guess, does this show whether the gills are free or not? That's a big guess. Um, so, um, Hunter is agreeing with Brooke on uh, Pluteus leoninus. So um, that's the best guess we've got so far. I'd have to compare to some other pictures. Uh, but you can see the gills are kind of getting pinkish. 
So if this has free gills, then I would say Pluteus. If it's got a g attached gills, then I would go towards Entoloma. Um, it also depends if it's actually on the wood or on the ground. It's not quite clear here. But the Pluteus leoninus is the, um, the best guess. And um, Robert says three kingdoms in one photo. So we've got the um, mushroom and the lichen kingdom, then the plant kingdom, and the algae in the lichen, I guess. Um, okay. I'm going to show you two lentinus and then two things that are not lentinus. And then a couple rust fungi that are in the spring, and a dung fungus that I haven't saw, that I have not found myself. So here's Lentinus tigrinus. This is a cute little Lentinus that grows around here, um, usually in floodplains on dead wood down where it floods. Um, it likes. Um, drier wood, but also that's in floodplains for our area anyway. Latinus tigrinus has these brown scales on the cap. It's got a depressed center. And underneath it has gills. And Latinus group have sawtooth gills. So you can see the edges of the gills are irregular, like they're kind of like a sawtooth or um, kind of cut up. So this is, um, but look at the brown scaly stem, the white uh, sawtooth gills, and then the, the uh, brown scaly cap. So that's Lentinus tigrinus. We also have Lentinus lapidius, which is a bigger species with gills. Um, you'll see other pictures of this Lentinus with the aborted surface underneath. Um, Brooke apparently has eaten this can ask him how he does that. Here's Lentinus arcularius. This is a polypore. So it's got the brown, it's not done the show as well here, but it's got a brown scaly top and a brown scaly stem. But you can see it's got these jagged pores underneath instead of gills. Um, so this used to be polyporous, but now it got moved into Lentinus because it's related to the other Lentinus. So this is actually a lentinus with pores. So lentinus um, includes pores and gills. But lentinus itself is related to polypores and not the other gilled mushrooms. Okay, so that's lentinus arcularius. That's fairly common. Um, Lorinda Sorensen has that one. Yay, that's in the spring. It's usually in the spring. Here's the lentinus tigrinus that is not a lentinus. Okay, what what do people think this is? I can't hear you, Brooke. Yep, dryad saddle. So here's dryad saddle side view. This is a decent dryad saddle. It's a little bit older and a little bit faded out. So. Um, 
So dryad saddle is a polypore, lentinus is a polypore. So when I, they're both in the polypore family. So when I put in, um, if we check iNaturalist, you can see it, top choice here is dryad saddle. So iNaturalist knows what it is. So I don't know why this person chose the other name. So now up here, it'll say family Pulliparaceae because they're, both of these names are in that family. Okay, here's another thing. Uh, I have no clue why this got labeled as Lantinus. This is tricky. Um, Brooke or Lorinda Sues, I would think could guess what this is. They've seen it certainly. Or Greg or anybody can make a guess. This isn't quite typical because it's a young piece and it's usually more spread out and more of a edge on the cap instead of just a flat thing with, with wrinkles. It's a little bit gelatinous, but it's not a jelly. Yeah, so Greg is asking if it's a flebia. Yes, it's in the flebia group. It's got merulioid pores or merulioid surface. This is called a merulioid surface with this wrinkled kind of ridges and forked ridges here. So it's in the flebia group. Um, anybody know which one, which flebia or merulius this might be? Uh, when this is normally developed, it's got pinkish color on the cap, on the top of the cap. Yeah, tremulosa. Brooke got it. Yep. So I don't know if iNaturalist is going to figure this one out. Let's see how it does. Looking for Merulius tremulosus, number three on the list here. It's pretty good. So that's a picture by Hadley Randall in Winnetka, Illinois. Uh, from last October. I don't know if that was a foray or what. Because, right, whoops. Oh, um, because if we look, there's actually, um, I'll bring this one up. But this is a duplicate picture posted by somebody else. It's, um, not a, it's a picture of the same thing, but it's, you can see the exposure is washed out. So two people took the picture of the same thing and um, they both said it was Lantinus tigrinus. But you can see this one has a little more trouble matching it up. Merulius tremulosus is farther down on the list there. And Merulius and um Merulius is also in the order Pulliparales here, so that's what it, it gets for the uh, for the uh, group name. Um, Merulioid is um, I'll put it in the chat here. Merulioid. Here's two rust fungi. Uh, Lorinda Sorensen got this in. I'm guessing in May, 
This is the um, common um, cedar apple rust. This is a rust fungus that makes these tentacle thingies on um, juniper trees in the spring. And this is a, a stage of the life cycle where it makes spores that then spread to the alternate host, the, um, I'm not sure if it's an apple tree or a hawthorn or crab apple or what um, in that case. That's Gymnosporangium juniperi virginiae because it grows on juniper, Juniperus virginianus. Um, so you can see that around the city. This is another gymnosporangium you can find in the spring. This is, um, I like this one a lot because it's a pinkish orange. Um, and instead of tentacles, it makes these little tubes and it makes the spores inside the tubes and they kind of shake out um, gymnosporangium clavipes. Um, and this grows on some fruit trees. But this one makes this kind of gall with these orange uh, horns that make the spores. So it's pretty cool. And then this one, somebody posted, I saw this. Um, this is actually up north of Chicago a bit, but this is uh, a phycomyces that's on some dung. So this is an entirely different group of fungi, um, a small dung fungus with these little yellow um, structures. So this is a very short-lived thing that grows on the dung and then makes spores here and then kind of melts away. So that's pretty cool. Um, I had a um, summer class for the School of the Art Institute this, that just ended yesterday, or Friday, I should say, and um, had the kids that could post stuff. One guy was in uh, Pennsylvania, so some of these are Chicago area, um, some are Pennsylvania, but they got a variety of things. Um, this is corn smut that uh, one of the students found in a cornfield. And some of these I haven't put names on yet. Um, so we'll look at one of those there. And they did do some lichens for Matt and Todd there. Um, you guys want to put lichen names on these? We'll do that in a second. Um, maybe we'll, we'll start with those. So here's the corn smut. This was in a cornfield and it's, it's on a young cob, a young corn cob. But that's Huitlacochi that's edible. And I haven't tried it yet. Um, I need Brooke or Britt to um, cook it up. Matt, Matt uh, Melody likes it. Um, there's a restaurant somewhere in Chicago that serves it um, sometimes. So that's corn smut. That's a smut fungus. It's a different group of fungi. Um, this is a picture just from the top. So we don't have a side view, but uh, any guesses on this? Greg said that corn smut tastes like it looks kind of gritty. Yep, so this is uh, another Luco agaricus americanus. Um, let's see if iNaturalist can figure that out. Yep. Um, that's down in um, Kentucky. Uh, one of my students was over there. 
Okay, Todd or Matt, what lichen name do you want to put on this thing? It's got ceridia on the edge. Robert is guessing Parmotrema. Robert's a volunteer that's been packaging lichens. Matt or Todd, some sort of Parmotrema. Todd, uh, Matt says some kind of Parmotrema. It has cilia and the white edge underneath. So we can put Parmotrema on here. We'll see if iNaturalist figures anything out here. Parmotrema. Um, three different Parmotrema here. Todd left the room. Do you want just the genus, Matt? Yeah, Todd knows, Todd worked on this group, so um, he might know it. Okay, here's another lichen. It's also, I don't know, is that also Parmatrema? Robert says yes. Yeah, another Parmatrema. So Matt gave us a really nice lichen field trip last year. We'll try and do that again next year sometime. Then I had a, a class in June online from the Morton Arboretum and I asked them to put stuff on a naturalist. One of the students went up to Northern Minnesota. So some of these recent ones are in Northern Minnesota like this earth tongue and the little waxy caps. And um, Oh, this is a really pretty one. Um, this purple one. And here's the purple gyropterus. This is Gyropterus purpurinus. It's not quite as common, but um, instead of being chestnut brown, it's kind of a, a violet brown on the cap and the stem, but it's also good edible. Um, we don't find this very often, but it's got the same whitish pores and it's got the same weird texture in the stem, kind of spongy. Um, Gyropterus purpurinus, so that's one to look for. Um, this is Calyptosporium. Uh, let's see, this is, uh, this is Deer Park Township, Illinois. Um, I think that's west of Chicago. This, we don't see this very often, but this is a really lovely purple mushroom. Uh, Calyptosporium uh, purpurium. And it's got, you can see the reddish gills underneath. And the, the um, mystery I haven't figured out about this mushroom yet is this red pigment has some weird property. When I take the picture, when I take a picture of this mushroom in daylight, or with um, incandescent light, 
it's red. If I take the photo with any kind of fluorescent light, including my ot lights, which are supposed to be natural daylight bulbs, but they're fluorescent, the red doesn't show up and they're just a dull brown. So the mushroom is a dull brown instead of reddish. So I don't know, I haven't, I should, I should ask some other mycologists if they have any clue uh, what's going on with the pigment. Um, I don't know if Greg knows anybody that studies pigments. Oh yeah, Brooke said we should try that under black light. That would be interesting. I would guess it would be uh, not, probably not red, but um, yeah, we need to get a little black light thing. But that's definitely uh, one of the prettiest reddish purple mushrooms we've got. Uh, but not very common. Um, so I think that's it. There's a Lucaria for Greg. Greg, you can come on iNaturalist and identify all these Lucaria just by photos. Wouldn't that be great? Um, I don't go on here too often. And when I was looking at stuff yesterday and today, I was like disappointed that some of the groups like Lactarius uh, and Russula, you know, a lot of them have the wrong names just because there's so many species. It's um, people are just guessing on these. Um, Greg said there used to be a guy in Germany that looked at pigments. Oh, here's somebody asked about this. This is that um, gold and yellow oyster. Um, so be on the watch out for this. You probably can't miss it because it grows in such big clumps. Um, so Hunter is lucky to live west of Chicago where, and other people out west and northwest find it a lot. Um, and there's a bunch in Iowa, Melody says. Um, people are finding it out east. It kind of exploded the last um, couple years. People first thought it escaped from Wisconsin, but I think because it's out east already, it must have been escaping all over the place. Um, Jane says it's in southern Minnesota too. The first, one of the first places it was found was southwestern Wisconsin. Um, there's a grad student that's been tracking it. I'm not sure. Um, Hunter, have you eaten this, tried it? And you don't care for it? Um, Anybody eaten this and liked it? Melody thought it was tasty. Hunter doesn't care for it. it Brooke says it's like any other oyster. Yeah, people can unmute now, yeah. Yeah. So Jane said it's not, it's not much flavor and the texture is not so good, it's kind of thin. And Hunter says the white oysters are much better and more. Um, great, uh, Brooke doesn't like the texture on this. Where did you eat it? Where did you eat it, Brooke? Where did you find it? I only have one or two. Oh, in New York, from a kit. Okay, I only have one or two records for Chicago right now. So if you do find this near Chicago, let me know. I know it's out west in the western counties. The um, collar counties. Okay. 
Okay. Um, yeah, it might be Cantharellus spectaculus, which we don't have a collection of. We have a photo from someone in the club from many years ago. Um, it's described from Wisconsin, so it's probably around here, but probably rare. So, um, yeah, so if you find it again, or if you can send us a picture, I can look at it. But some of these interesting chanterelles are quite rare. I've got um, two other chanterelles I found in the last five, six years that we need to sequence because I don't, I'm not sure they're anything that has a name yet or they're different color form maybe. That's um, a picture where I can look at it. Did you see but some of these other interesting chanterelles are quite rare. I've got um, two other chanterelles I found in the last five, six years that we need to see. Um, and then there's Cantharellus persicinus, which is um, a species that's out east and Bart thinks it's the same species as the uh, Spectaculus. But um, there, part of the problem was people had the wrong concept for Persicinus for a while until Bart looked at the collections and figured out what it actually looks like. So there's, there's um, Bart is guessing that we only have names on about half the chanterelles. We've got 30 names for the US or for North America mm -hmm. so far. Like five. Well, five in the east. Um, I had like four or five names for Chicago area. We had the um, regular yellow chanterelle. We got the cinnabar chanterelle, the smooth chanterelle, and cantharellus minor, the really little little one. So those names are still good, except we don't have Siberius. The Siberius, all the yellow chanterelles have been split up. Um, Melody asking about the golden oyster. I, we don't know. I don't know. Maybe this grad student will have an opinion on whether it's invasive. Um, it's certainly spreading out in the environment, so it is replacing something, but whether that's going to cause a problem or not, I guess, ends up being whether how common it gets. There's lots of invasive, like garden escape plants, like bellflower and things, but they're not like they're not like nasty like garlic mustard. So different introduced things have different kinds of frequency on how common they are. So I guess dandelion, um, I guess it depends how um, widespread it ends up getting. You have to keep, you know, there's no way to stop it that I know of. Any other questions related to this or anything? Um, again, you can go back to this page and, you know, um, if you need to learn some of these species, you can click on the links for Michael Quo or you can Google, Google the names or look at the other pictures of this on iNaturalist. I'll show you one thing that I did today. Oh, here, here's our Mycoflora Chicago IMA page. Um, when we started out, Carol was number one in observations. Um, Jeff here surpassed Carol in number of observations. Carol is now second. Um, Jennifer Howard is in third. Lorinda 
Sorensen is up in fourth place and Learn to Suze is in fifth place and then Chris Kozlak is in um, next in the list there. But um, what I did was, so this is what I consider the Chicago region. And because Hunter who's active in our club joined and wanted to be included, we included these two counties. So you can see this patch of stuff that's from um, Hunter out west of Chicago. So we kind of extended our area a bit west to um, include her stuff in here. So we've got um, some of these newer ones are from her. Um, there's some more lichens here, some amanita and um, so forth. If Britt was watching, I'd ask him what this what this salmonetta was with the zones on the cap. It looks like an interesting one. Um, Britt has a new ammonita from up in Wisconsin. We're going to publish sometime when we get another specimen, um, better description. Um, so iNaturalist, you can put anything on iNaturalist, plants, animals, mushrooms, insects, whatever. But um, this particular page, you can see on the um, on the overview. So you, when you make a project, you can specify what is included in this project. Um, so this project is everything in the kingdom fungi in these counties and by these users. So that's why I was asking for your username because I add you as a user and then your stuff shows up here. But there's, um, so this is for the club, people that sent me their usernames that are in the club for the Chicago area. So this one, this project, the Mycoflora of Chicago region includes that project for the club and includes our forays. Um, and it has, yeah, it's our, it's that thing plus the forays. There's another project, um, There, so different people are making different projects. I think there's a project that's all the mushrooms of, um, maybe not. Somebody else made this other project, Mushrooms, Lichens, and Fungi of Illinois. But um, this is a different kind of project. This is a project where you pick, so when you post on a naturalist, you can assign it to a project when you post an observation. So this project is not limited to Illinois. This project gets whatever people add to the project when they click on, when they put an observation in. So you can see there's something from India and stuff from other states because this project is not limited to Illinois like it should be. I did contact the person and ask if they could limit it to the state, but um, I haven't seen a reply. So. Um, projects depend on how the person sets them up. So this is supposed to be for Illinois, but there's some stray things in here. Yeah, so you can email me your username. There, my um, email address is in that, um, that notice for the meeting. I'll put it in the comments here. Michael Guide at Gmail. Whoops. 
So whatever you post will show up in any project that includes that area and that taxon group. So if somebody has a project that covers fungi of, um, you know, Wisconsin, for example, and you take a mushroom picture in Wisconsin, that'll show up in that project whether you send the person your username or not. It just depends how the project is set up. But the one for the club I set up for um, any fungi by people in our club that sent me their username. Um, so we're going to put previous talks up on our YouTube page, yes. And I need to get those edited. I'm behind on that. Um, Stephen, do you want to, is Stephen there? You want to say anything about your online foray? Remind people about that, if you're still here. Yeah, I am here. Give me one quick second. I just had to unmute to finish the okay. process of mushrooms. Um, if you, I, I spoke about it the other week. Uh, we're having an online foray currently. It's a week-long online event um, where people from anywhere in the state or I actually invited people from your region to participate as well. Uh, but there's an iNaturalist project. Uh, you can get a link to the project uh, by going to HoosierMushrooms.org. That's our, that's our society webpage. There's a direct link to the project from there. Um, but the, one of the key things about that project is you can uh, actually save the specimens. If you're willing to save the specimens that you encounter and send them to us, there's a chance that we'll be sequencing them. So um, we typically sequence in the hundreds. So probably I would guess probably three to 400 specimens from uh, this event that's coming up uh, during this week. And so if you guys would like to be a part of that, uh, you're more than welcome to. Cool. So yeah, I think uh, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, so we're you're in the middle of that right now. Yeah, so uh, it was our, our uh, the opening weekend of it was this last weekend. Um, we have around 400 observations at the moment. Uh, somewhere around 20 people have uh, put observations up to this point. Uh, the dates are somewhat strict. Um, the iNaturalist project is date restricted. So if you try to add stuff to that project before or after it, um, it, it you won't be able to add it. Okay, yeah. So here is uh, what they've got so far. You can see the stuff in Indiana there and some of the pictures. Yeah, we really do need the samples to be saved. That's one of the things that gives a project like this uh, lasting scientific value. So we, we, we kind of ask people if you can't identify it to species or if you know nobody uh, else identifies it reliably, um, it's probably something good to save. So um, yeah, we, we do request that you save uh, specimens that are of interest. Yep, and then you send the specimens to Stephen so he can sequence it and figure out what it is. He, he's getting new unknown things in um, lots of these samples. Yeah, apparently Brooke wants me to keep talking. So um, I'll, uh, the, the, in order to save specimens, the easiest way is to dry them out. And we typically do that with a dehydrator or a fan. You can put them in front of a fan for a day or two and that'll help uh, that, that'll get them dry enough to, to mail. Uh, dehydrator typically works best on the lowest setting. Um, organizing the specimens is one of the most difficult parts of it, especially if you have lots of specimens to work with. Um, typically how I organize the specimens uh, is by 
taking the iNaturalist number. So if you look at the URL, um, you know, the website link uh, to, to an, any iNaturalist observation, it has a specific number in it. And so after the mushrooms dry, I put it in a Ziploc bag and uh, write that iNaturalist number on the bag. And that's the link to all of the metadata, all of the, the collection date, location, the species name, the color images. Um, that, that allows us to easily link back to it. And all, all that information, if you, really, if you want like a full set of instructions, they are on our website um, in, in terms of the online foray. So I, I would just kind of point you there, I guess, for more information on the specifics. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Everything's described on here and there's videos and stuff. Yeah, this is our, this is our fourth year for doing it. Um, our first year we had something like 1300 observations over the course of a week and about 800 collections that were mailed in. We don't save every collection, um, but just as an example, out of that 800, we saved about 500 that first year. Um, I would expect we're going to get about the same amount of collections this week, and we'll probably save somewhere in the ballpark of three to 400 for sequencing. Cool. So if, if, if you mail us something, I guarantee we will sequence some of the things that you mail us. Um, we, we try to get you know get everybody involved a little bit. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you everyone for attending. Um, I'll try and get this. Uh, Kathy will send me this video, and I'll try and get it processed quicker so we can get it online soon, so the other people can see it. See all of you. Yeah, the, the recent talk by Steven is on Facebook. Thank you. Good night, everyone.